Hello and welcome to episode 54 of The UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange, Skype for Business and Office 365 podcast. Today's show is recorded on the 2nd of August 2014. I'm your host, Exchange MVP, Steve Goodman, and this week I'm joined by Michelle DeRoy and Michael Van Horenbeek. As always, we've got a packed show for you talking about the latest developments in the Microsoft Unified Comms world. Coming up on the show tonight, we're going to be talking about Exchange 2016, new improvements in Skype for Business, uh, some of the news from WPC, uh, which is the Microsoft World Partner Conference, and more. Uh, But let's get uh, straight in there and talk about Exchange 2016. So, a big announcement a few weeks ago Exchange Server 2016 has it really been three years since 2013 came out it's now available you can play with it now download it and start previewing it uh, has anyone had a go with it yet yeah yeah I did uh, I think uh, it, Paul Cunningham said it uh, happy I accept Exchange Server license terms the day that it was you know <laughs> made available uh, to everyone <laughs> Um, so yeah, no. Of course, uh, I played with it, and to be honest, I'm I'm actually very pleased. Um, usually, preview versions they have the you know the the, the the name of maybe not being so good, but the Exchange 2016 preview is pretty rock solid. I mean, um, that, okay, sure, it's a preview version, so you know, things will probably change between now and when it goes RTM. Um, but you know, it was a very you know, easy installation, um, but maybe that's because it's very similar to Exchange 2013, isn't it? Yes, yeah. So there's been a lot of blog posts and things like that around saying uh, it's it's almost like it's the service pack two of Exchange Server 2013. Uh, and I, I was thinking about that a bit earlier, and I was thinking, okay, do you remember when Exchange 2010 came along? And the EMC looked very, very much like the Exchange 2007 one. The 2007 Exchange Management Console was the big change. And then 2010 looked quite similar, but it had a, had a, a few more features. And because Office 365 has so in, has incrementally changed over the, the last few years, it, the, I think that the difference is, is perhaps not so immediate because you know, so many people are used to it. Um, but really, it's that kind of level of change, I think, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, it is actually, you know, I hate to call it like that, but it is a sort of service pack because, you know, looking at the build number, it's 15.1, so it's not 16. Um, but, you know, it definitely stems from the same, you know, source code, if you will. Of course it does, but, I mean, it, it is a logical evolution. It's not a revolution. Uh, like Eve 2010, when it came yeah. out, there was a bit of a revolution. There was the DAG, which was brand yeah, new, yeah. Uh, even though, you know, it was similar in, in idea to how a CCR and all that Well, worked. yeah, continuous replication. Right? Yeah, yes, that was the yes. big thing, continuous replication. And, Absolutely. And, that, and you still got that today. The, the DAG didn't really change in 2013 or 2016. Those core concepts are the same. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and effectively, this multi-role server, that that's, it is a multi-role server now, uh, is even more roles all, all jammed into one. Uh, but it's still got some of those core fundamental uh, pieces that were taken apart. So I'm actually happy they 
they they they did that because now I don't have to go to customers and have a discussion about whether or not having multi-role. I can just go in and tell them, hey, this is what it is. Um, so you know that avoids a lot of discussions. Um, so that, I'm happy about that change. So it's also very logical. But on the other uh, other hand, one of the discussions I had um, earlier this week was about you know the value prop of Exchange 2016. Uh, you know where is value to be found? Because you know um, a lot of people struggle or you know. Today, they struggle trying to come up with reasons why anyone would move to Exchange 2016. But when you take a closer look, there might not be a lot of you know, architectural things uh, that change. It's not that there is a new replication technology, which is all of a sudden gives you, you know, 100% uptime. It's just you know, the DAG is even a little bit better now today. Um, but from a, um, a user perspective, there's actually a lot of good stuff in Exchange 2016. Um, if you already use Office 365, you won't notice because you know, you're know you already used to it, but when you take a look at Exchange 2010 or 2013, and you then take a look at OA in 2016, it is so much better, and I mean dramatically oh, yeah. better. Oh, absolutely. Um, so those are the real things that, you know, I... I'm right now excited about, whereas before I was jumping around like, "Hey, a DAG, or oh, look into uh, you know our <laughs> admin feature." But you know, it's 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 very interesting to see how it evolves, and yeah. I'm very happy to see you know close the gap with Office 365 because the, the first for, thing I looked for was the waffle bar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, has, yeah. has it got all those changes? You know, what what have we got with integration of of one of OneDrive for Business Docs? You know, co-authoring, editing, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's like you're looking at uh, at Office 365 and you're hoping to see those same features in the on-prem product, uh, yep. which is it's a different feeling to a few years ago when you first perhaps went onto a tap or beta for 2010 and you're like w- w- waiting to see things new for the first time. Uh, now it's the opposite. You've seen it all before and you're like, I hope they put these features in. <laughs> Which Absolutely. is it's, it's a different way around, which is it's kind of you know, a first time. But but if you're looking at 2016, who who are you? That's the, the question, because so so many people moved from 2003 to 2010, and uh, are now at that point where there you know, the, a lot of customers I, I I see these days, some of the Office 365 ones are on 2010, and. I spoke to one last week. They said, you know, we've not long put 2010 in. We want to sweat that asset. But the majority who are on 2010 are looking to make that move. So, you know, 2016 to them is an absolute revolution uh, in the same way that the, the 2003 to 2010. And, of course, 2010 is, is out of mainstream support now as well. Absolutely. I think it's a very compelling reason to look at Exchange 2016, other than the fact that, you know, it really looks good. And I believe it's, you know, one of these very solid, good releases. Um, so I look forward to the RTM and, and you know, what, what's going to come next for, for Exchange. Um, and I also look forward to Michelle updating his installation script and scripts that I don't have to do it manually anymore. Yeah, I was also pleasantly surprised by the fact that <clears throat> some of the requirements that set out on Ignite were now lower with the preview version. For example, the forest, forest level, forest level, the main yeah. level, OS version, stuff like that. But uh, one thing that really caught me by surprise was the the auto-expanding archives thing that made it to the preview version. But I haven't had time to play with it myself i don't know if you have uh well we can t- I, I haven't yet so the idea with the auto expanding archives is that uh 
because a, a big, you know, a large mailbox in exchange terms is, is 100 gig and they don't want them to uh, be absolutely massive. Uh, behind the, the scenes, instead of you having one online archive, it creates multiple ones and then Outlook stitches together a view of those together, uh, assuming you're running, I believe, uh, the 2016 clients and above. Uh, and uh, and that, that means you've effectively got multiple online archives. They present as one single online archive. To, to the end user but it it means that uh, they can just grow and grow and grow yeah i mean in theory that's really great i mean everlasting growing archives um first of all for from a testing purpose it's really hard to test <laughs> getting as that many data into exchange uh for one but you know second second of all i mean I, looking at all my customers, I have yet to come across a single active user. I'm not talking about you know um, uh, mailboxes like journaling mailboxes and all that, but really a user that has that many data. I'm sure there are people out there that have, but I struggle to find a very compelling use case for it. Maybe you guys don't. Uh, I think customers that haven't got that at the moment, but have perhaps used uh, third-party archiving products, which ha have been expiring shortcuts perhaps, and, and just dumping that data somewhere that they don't care about uh, over many, many years, might have that kind of large data uh, requirements, uh, and they don't even know it. Uh, it's hard for them to gauge, and because from an end-user perspective, they've they've not been coached into deleting items, uh, and it's been expiring out all that data from their their normal view. But you might need to move it back in to somewhere at some point. So I've had a few where primarily the primary mailbox is going to be over 50 gig, um, but not many where it's. It, you know, I, I suppose I could count on one hand the the amount that uh, come up with the whole 150 gig plus requirements today. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, so shall we run through some of the other new features? So we've also got uh, improved reliability. So all the all all the bits that have, have happened throughout the the products uh, for. Well, I mean, oh. it, it, improved reliability. Um, to be honest, Exchange 2010 was rock solid. Change 2013 does a pretty darn good job of being rock solid too, uh, especially you know once we got past the initial fuzz about you know all the problems that were, that existed in earlier builds of Exchange 2013. Um, so you know I mean they're adding even more reliability into Exchange 2016. It's great, but I mean it's it's you know, the difference can't be that big because it's already really really good today, isn't it? So the main improvement is 33% uh, faster failovers in database availability groups. To be honest, I don't see that an end user would even notice that uh, because all that is masked in the, the background. Uh, and, and to be honest, that's the kind of thing I'd, I'd expect to see in a service pack. Mm -hmm. uh, what else have we got? Automated repair for database diversions, detection. That's, that's, a, that's a good feature. Uh, but I you know that, again, the, those seem like the kind of improvements that you would expect in a service pack. You know, thinking back to the, the 2010 days, some of the, the, the new features that came, you know, release to release the, or service pack to service pack uh, were of that kind of level. Uh, you know, it, we, we're not seeing any, anything of the scale of, of managed availability here. Mm -hmm. uh, no, exactly. Better extensibility for OWA apps. You know, that they're 
they're great uh, so the the new feature is instead of it just being a portion at the top of the message it can now interact with the body of the message as well uh, if, it, if it needs to uh, the, the new search improvements uh, is where it's uh, going to try and pre present a more consistent view uh, so when a cache mode 2016 client is connected to exchange it'll use the, the server based search uh, rather than the local based search uh, that is huge that that you know, you know the most annoying thing when you set up a new client and you search it's like it's still indexing it's like well yeah I mean uh, I from from I'm a I'm a big OR user um but I obviously also use Outlook and it always annoys me or you know really annoys me to the end of the day is that when I search something in Outlook I get different results from what I see in OWA and then you know the, the inconsistency just gets to me and. Being able to have that same view now, you yeah. know, when using newer clients, it's just it's it's a big relief. It's it's been one of my pet peeves for a long time, so I'm really you know, stoked about that. It's a pretty active sync class kind user as well, because that's the, that's the thing that is always annoying to me, and I have to go into OWA uh, on the phone where I search in active sync, and it just it uses its own algorithm. Uh, to be fair, on iOS nine, it, the search is a little bit better, but but yeah, that's what you want consistency. Uh, improvements to DLP. They apparently were getting extra data types, which I suppose that that, that could have been done and backported into 2013. Uh, but also uh, third-party uh, extensibility, uh, so that DLP rules can trigger uh, if it's uh, found by a third-party system that's plugged into it. Uh, so that's, that's quite useful as well. Uh, and custom email notifications. Uh, for people that are impacted by rules. So those are, are sort of big new features. Uh, improvements to e-discoverability. Uh, so e-discovery e searches on public folder content uh, and placing that on in place hold. A new feature that's literally, you know, a couple of weeks ago came to Office 365 as well. Uh, and that's been a, a big ask to, to be able to put in place hold, uh, legal hold type uh, restrictions on public folder content and then search for it. Uh, we talked about the auto-expanding archives, Mr. Hybrid. Uh, hybrid improvements. Uh, have you, you, you? I know you've definitely had a play with these, haven't you? I have. I have. Um, and I, actually, it really is. It, it really works well. Um, uh, it, it's a little bit getting used to. Um, well, not really. I mean, it, it's different. It's it's better in every possible way. So, you know, in terms of the, the in terms of the new wizard. Yes. Yes. The new wizard. So, you know. At, at Ignite, uh, Tim and I had a um, session about you know the uh, hybrid uh, configuration, and he talked about how a new hybrid configuration wizard and how it would be very similar, and it's still similar. So when you you know have set up an Exchange 2013 hybrid and you go to 20, Exchange 2016, you won't be lost. It's at the same place where you invoke the hybrid wizard. But if you've set up OAuth in Exchange 2013, it just opens you know downloads a little piece, then opens up a wizard, um, and you know the wizard starts by you know asking your credentials and then verifies those credentials before it lets you continue, which is, you know, very smart. <laughs> before you just, you know, enter them at the end of the wizard and then, you know, run the wizard and then it would say, hey, you know, I couldn't connect. So you had to go back, type them again. And so there's, you know, some improvements there. Uh, but, but once you're past all that, you know, it's basically the same wizard, um, you know, going through the client access servers, mailbox servers. But the, the way that it goes about, the, the, you know, instead of, you know, just ha you having to go uh, through a picker of all your servers, there's now a nice drop-down list. It's, it's a, a bit more slick. It's, it's really uh, an evolution. Um, so, you know, from that point of view, the new wizard is really good. It, even the, the, 
the logging still is the same. You know, there's a lot of information in all the log files, so you're not losing anything. Um, so if you combine that user experience, which you know, is really great today, and add the value that Microsoft is offering, because they can now you know, ensure that you're running the latest version of the HTW at all times, I think it's a big win. I said it earlier um, that, to me, this is probably the biggest improvement in Exchange 2016, but then again, I'm a little bit biased. So, <laughs> that, Well, yeah, but that, that's, a, that's a big improvement then. Uh, so more, it's more reliable, easier to use in, in a way, uh, and uh, th- there's no OAuth no part at the end either then, I guess, either. Um, actually, there is. There is. So, um, what, is, is that still separate? It is. Yes. Oh right. Okay. Oh well, we can't have everything. Uh, but there's still more to come then. So the, the the document collaboration stuff, if you want to try that out, uh, that's waiting for the previews of SharePoint 2016 uh, and the Office Web App Server 2016 as well to to arrive. Um, before you can have a play with those, um, but the, the, it's all a bit of an anticlimax when it comes to sort of the end user features because you can obviously try them out now in Office 365, uh, and uh, and rather than uh, rather than uh, see them half baked, you see them fully cooked, uh, and we have to hope that they're as good when they come to on-prem. Uh, one of the things, oh, one or two of the things that, that are missing, clutter. Obviously, that never made it to on-prem, did it? And they said. It wouldn't, and it's not at all. Uh, so that's that's a disappointment. Uh, however, you know, clutter. I must admit, is more annoying switched on than off. Uh, oh no, it is. It because is now I get, great. I just get stupid notifications every day saying, "Look at all this crap we've moved for you." All right, well, well you've moved five I mean, messages and sent me an email to tell me that you've you've moved five messages. Thank you. Oh wow. <laughs> really? So in, I'm getting daily in my mailbox, um, I'm getting daily notifications too, but it catches like hundreds of emails a day that I don't want to read and just puts them in clutter. It is the single most best feature in my mailbox right now. I mean, it's, it is you know a godsend gift. I, really, it is. I, I mean, I don't know if other people are having issues with clutter because for me, I, if they turn it off, I would be lost again in my mailbox. Really, it is that good. Okay. Uh, I'm... Uh, I'm not quite as convinced. Um, so at work, it gets uh, a couple of Yammer uh, messages. Uh-huh. My my daily activity, top conversations. Yep, that's it. And it also decluttered its own clutter message. Uh, meet your new cleaner inbox. It decided was clutter. <laughs> uh, at home, what do I get? Group. It, it picks up my group on messages. Microsoft Online Services thing, your trial will be dis- disabled soon. I think I'd. Well, sh- oh dear, I do want to know about that. Um, uh, face, you know, it's it just gets notifications and stuff like that. It's not. It's it, it's finding stuff that's partly spam, and partly me needing to adjust my notifications. It it doesn't find things that are cluttering at my mailbox that I could you know stuff I could do stuff about this. Uh, it's not slightly less important things uh, and that's the, that's what i wanted it to get i wanted to look in it once a day uh, and perhaps find the stuff that was less urgent the stuff that i deal with you know perhaps tomorrow um so i'm, I'm not i'm not 100 percent convinced i my think my it could be better also my mileage also varied a bit because i had a, accumulated lots of messages in my clutter over time from training the system and one point i decided to clean it up and removed all the messages from there and then it started moving the messages with, which it previously had been throwing in my clutter box. It 
put them in my inbox again. Hey. Like I had to start all over again. But. See, it's, it's, see, when we've complained about these things, we're, we're told it's not supposed to work that way. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. I mean, <clears throat> I just keep my my um, emails in, in clutter. Uh, right now, you know, I have my mailbox open. There's like two thousand eight hundred and forty-seven messages in clutter, but I have a thirty-day retention policy, which after thirty days just deletes it. Um, uh, there is a little issue because it isn't deleting them, <laughs> um, but other than that, uh, it, it used to delete them, you know, after 30 days. And you know, I figure if I haven't gone into clutter in 30 days and caught something that you know, is really worth my attention, then you know, just get rid of it because it's clunking up your mailbox anyway. So. Well, I think this is one of those things where sometimes Office 365 doesn't listen to the policies you set. Uh, th there was someone else saying that it's now been added as a, a folder you can't delete as well, uh, which is kind of weird. So I didn't make it to, to on-prem. Uh, and to be honest, I still don't uh, uh, I still don't understand why. Why didn't it make it to on-prem? Well, I mean, uh, the technical answer is, uh, so from what I understand, is just, you know, the machine learning behind all that, trying to figure out whether or not, you know, a message should be cluttered or not, is to resource-intensive to run on-premises, or I it's too difficult that. to get it on-premises. I don't believe that. I, I think, it, you know... Well, the, I, I, you can download the infer.net library they use to build it all. Uh, it's not necessarily CPU-intensive. Uh, well, no, but, I mean, just... I've, I've been told that it doesn't... I've been told it's not running on separate like HPC clusters. It's it, it's it's something that I think they just want to keep on tuning because they don't think it's fully baked, in my opinion. Well, it, that's what I also meant with resource, not only on the mailbox server in terms of because obviously if you run that, you know, just assume that it's a sort of assistant that runs or agents. You know, it, it takes resources away, but it also takes resources from Microsoft to build that to bring it on premises, which right now I think they better use into getting it even better in Office 365, and maybe at some point we'll see it in, 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 in the on-premises world. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe. Uh, I mean, if you compare it to you know what it's most similar to, which is uh, an anti-spam system, then those systems uh, are obviously you know. But if you if you subscribe to an on-prem system and get re regular agent updates, then a team of people update those on a daily basis uh, to make sure that the engine is is fully aware of all the sort of resource-intensive things that their staff do. So mm -hmm. I think it could have came to on-prem. I just think they prefer to keep it in-house for the moment. Uh, I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I still don't see why certain features are cloud only uh, because I, I don't think it works well for the end-user experience because in most cases, whether you go cloud or stay on-prem is not a is, is not a, a choice of IT or the business in many cases. It's it's a requirement uh, of where the data needs to be. So, you know, I, I'm, and I've, I've been saying this on these podcasts for years, I, I'm all for parity when it comes to delivering the same features both on-prem uh, and in the cloud. Mm -hmm. Yep, makes sense. Yeah, and that's, you know, the, the key advantage Microsoft have over everybody else. Uh, but, uh, you know, cloud on your terms. Uh, and when you miss out, you know, supposedly really big, important features like that and say, well, you know, we're still tuning it, we're still getting it to work, uh, like any other anti-spam system, uh, which, yeah, granted it is not, then I think it's a bit of a poor excuse. Um, but, yeah, we'll get there, you know. Maybe, maybe clutter's uh, not something that they plan to keep around forever, and that's why they haven't necessarily brought it uh, to the on-prem product. I don't know. One thing I do want like to uh, 
point out is um, I had a play with my lab in Exchange 2016 mixed with Exchange 2013, and it worked flawlessly. Uh, Down-level, up-level proxy mechanism, they almost deliver, which makes you don't... Uh, so that you don't need to upgrade your internet-facing exchange boxes first. That just works. So that that sounds nice. Uh, and um, and what's the CU level? Is that CU? I can't remember what the compatibility was. Uh, but you're is it, is it CU six? Right. Okay. Oh, I could be wrong. Well, I mean, you know, right now CU nine is available, isn't it? Or is it CU eight? I it just yeah, gets me confused. CU nine, right? So, uh, you know. If you have the latest, then then you should be fine. It has always kind of be the been the the recommendation anyway. So I, I I guess by the time that Exchange 2016 will go to market, um, you know maybe we'll have CU10 or CU CU11 by then. Um, so I I think you know the support statement will will be that you'll have to use the whatever CU is available at that point in time. That's something that you know it's always been like that and um, expected to be like this. So this time too. So to, to round off Exchange 2016, do you expect to ever see a service pack two for Exchange 2013, or do you think that we're we're as far as it gets? Well, I mean, to be honest, service pack one was CU four. They just named it service pack one, but you know, after CU four just came CU five, not service pack one CU one, right? So they just continued naming the CUs. So whether or not yeah. they just you know give a CU a service pack name or not, it doesn't make a change for me. For me, I mean, it's just semantics, right? It's a CU, period. Yeah, but for an SP, there's a longer support period. Yeah. So there's some implications. Uh, and if there was a service pack level that you had to get to, like SP2 for full 2016 compatibility, it'd be a, a bit clearer as well. Maybe, maybe, but, you know, whether it's, oh, you have to be on the service pack 2, or, oh, you have to be on CU10. I think it's, you know, it's yeah. pretty much the same thing. And, and you know, to, to, to that defense, whether or not there comes a service pack 2, I agree that it makes it maybe a little bit easier on the support, uh, or, you know, you've got longer support on the service pack and, and all that. But, um, you know, is that really something you want to, you know, advocate it, you know, going forward? I mean, um, you know, one of the things that I I hear a lot and I see a lot is that companies are struggling, you know, updating their servers regularly uh, because it takes time, takes manpower, efforts, and all that. Which, okay, I get, but you know, technology is moving fast. And and to be honest, I mean, I sometimes get really frustrated if I go to a customer and be like, "Oh, you're running Service Pack two on Exchange 2010, right?" And and when did you decide not to upgrade to Service Pack three? And why didn't you do that? I mean, like, I I I. I I think it's a really, I, and I know it's kind of a rude statement, right? But I don't mind, you know, Microsoft, it's not really forcing, but encouraging people to stay current with their updates. I mean, it's a really good thing. Um, in Exchange 2013, I rarely come across a customer that isn't running one of the later CUs. Um, you know, it, 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 it just, you know, it, it's better. So I wouldn't mind them dropping service packs at all and just continue on the CU levels. And as a result, you know, make sure that people are no no further than one or two uh, CUs behind. I think it's a good thing. Okay. Uh, next up, we've got some news from WPC. Uh, so there's been a whole bunch of announcements. Uh, and really, I suppose the one we want to focus on is uh, around the new role of the onboarding center, or rather, the expanded role of the onboarding center. Uh, so, uh, be because we we work for partners, then 
we do have to be fairly sensitive about what we do and don't say about these kind of things. Uh, so, you know, that's that that's just the way it is, unfortunately. Um, so the, the main thing is the onboarding centre is going to be on offer for every single customer uh, to use uh, when they move to Office 365. Uh, and they'll also get adoption funding, but they'll be told that they shouldn't use that adoption funding for helping with the, the mailbox migration to Office 365, uh, which is a change because last year they had a choice between either the adoption funding to help adopt and migrate mailboxes uh, or the onboarding centre who would help with the migration. So it's a bit of a bit of a change there. Uh, and... I think it, it sounds like it could be quite a big opportunity because a lot of the onboarding centre-based engagements, they don't, they're, they're you know a remote help service, uh, and they fill a big gap because not many people want to pay a, an expensive consultant to spend evenings uh, completing migration batches, for example, uh, and and troubleshooting those kind of issues. Uh, and the onboarding centre don't that help with things like design uh, so it's more of help you get into the cloud quickly um, but not necessarily thinking about the most strategic view for your messaging infrastructure in the long term uh, so it's a bit bit of a change um, but the, the thing that I, I thought probably you know it's probably a bit strange was that the the funding that microsoft give you can't be used for things like messaging migrations which even with the onboarding center uh, even Microsoft degree, you still need some help from a partner if you want to do it right. Yeah. Um, so here's here's my thought on on um, the, the the changes. Um, they make a lot of sense from a Microsoft perspective. I mean, when you take a look at the history of of Office 365 migrations, Dave. I'm not going to say all, but a lot of them were about Exchange Online, right? I mean, it usually starts with email because. Uh, you know, people say that's the easiest thing to move into Office 365, which makes a lot of sense. But um, it also makes a lot of sense for Microsoft to you know start start looking at getting people to use more services than just email in Office 365. I mean, we're talking about there's a SharePoint, which is a big thing. There's a lot of other things that you can do on Office 365. So from that point of view, I, I do get it why they're uh, pushing is not the right word, but why they're um, encouraging people to use the funding for things other than email. I mean, it's, it's, it's good because maybe that can, you know, um, get a customer to actually start looking into other services, which would make a lot of sense. Um, so I, I get it. On the other hand, um, and that's, you know, purely from a, a small consultant company point of view, uh, not, you know, not, not the company that I work for now, um, but, you know, the, the thing that I'm wondering is that Microsoft is offering those, those migration services, which is great, right? The onboarding center, uh, they're now, you know, doing that for smaller customers as well. Um, it just leaves me wondering, you know, where does a partner or, you know, the smaller shops that built their practices around migrating people, where do they have to go, right? What is their, you know, next step going to be? And, um, you know, one of the rumors I heard at, at WPC is that, you know, some partners are not going to say afraid. That's not the right word. But they're, you know, thinking about, hey, what's Microsoft going to do next? Because not so long ago they told us going to the migration business, and now they're telling them, hey, you know what? The migration business might not be the right place. Just, you know, try and do value-added services. Um, so there's a little bit of confusion there, and it would be a good thing, you know, to have a concise message year after year. But then again, and that's probably the reason why, 
things move so fast, things change so fast. Maybe it just warrants a, you know a different approach every year. Um, it just you know, to me feels like they they you know they make a lot of changes in all those programs, and, and sometimes partners just feel feel lost. They don't you know, really know how to deal with it. And I'm and, you know I'm far from consulting right now. Um, I think you, you're closer to the action uh, action, Steve. Um, so you know maybe it's 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 you know it's it's. More difficult, I think, you know, to try and understand, you know, what what's next? What do we do now? Do we focus on A or do we focus on B? It's it's interesting to say the least. Uh, I think from you know a consultant working at a partner's perspective, uh, you've got to decide whether you're sort of in or out of that strategy. Uh, and for me, you know, I've I've recently changed jobs because I'm completely, you know, I want to be in. I want to be in that inner circle, in the loop. I I want to be working for a company that is focused on delivering all those things because you know like, like you say you know office 365 is a big investment and messaging only driven engagements they sort of they come and they go and they're small you know that you, you do a migration and that that's it you know uh once you've moved everybody's email system you know what, what, what's to do next uh so partners do have to be be smarter and the ones that are more infrastructure focused and just focused on the the technical bits uh seem you know in a more vulnerable position uh so it's you know so I, I looked around and picked one that had a whole bunch of people that do business consultancy and and i know what we all think about yammer <laughs> with people you know with people that are absolutely you know really over um what's the best way of putting this I'm very very uh interested in helping people use yammer uh, effectively <laughs> and uh, you know, it's, it, and it, it does make a difference because although I am a little bit cynical sometimes, uh, which is, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to try and hide that. Uh, I do see the way people use all the other services uh, and they really get a lot out of it. And from a, a user perspective, that's when Office 365 starts to make sense because it all sort of clicks. So partners do have to be more than just technical uh, if they want to sort of swim in this new Microsoft ecosystem. Uh, and I, th- I think that that's where Microsoft are encouraging customers to try and find uh, that the right use for Office 365. They need someone that, that can help them with all those areas uh, rather than just messaging, which feels a bit weird to say as, as an exchange MVP uh, because you're sort of saying, yes, we can help you with the, the mail migration, um, but we also recognize that although, you know, I'm, it's my fundamental area of interest. There's a hell of a lot more uh, that you need to think about apart from that. Uh, so I, I get it. But uh, I still think, you know, when you're looking at a, a hybrid migration or something like that, then you need to really give it the right amount of thought. Well, even a non-hybrid pl- uh, migration, you need to give it the right amount of planning as well. You know, the, there's... That there is the the solutions like Skykick for the the smaller organisations that just need to get you know booted into the cloud. Um, but for anybody who's of any sort of size, I, I think uh, you do need a, a bit of assistance just to give you the right advice. Uh, you know, especially if you've got third party solutions like Enterprise Vault and things like that in the mix. Sure, and I think that you know every 
project, small or large, you know, needs a mix of both technical, you know, help, technical profiles that can help you figure out how to do stuff, uh, or, you know, or how to move stuff across, as well as, you know, functional profiles who can tell you, hey, this is what you can do with it. And then, you know, of course, you know, make the translation between, okay, this, so this is what you need from a business perspective, and this is how you can do it in Office 365. So you made a very good point there. Um, you know, of course, we're, you know, all of all three of us on the, on the call today, we're, uh, we're all Exchange MVPs. Uh, of course, we we have a you know we're a little bit biased to, towards Exchange, but you know when you take a look at Office 365 today, uh, even in Exchange in OWA, right? You you said it earlier. If you send an attachment, the first thing it asks you, hey, you want to you know, save it in OneDrive? Um, you know, there is no getting around the other technologies anymore. It isn't a separate bunch of like, hey, there is a SharePoint and it has nothing to do with Exchange. I mean, you know, that we crossed that boundary a long time ago with site mailboxes and all those integrations and all that neat stuff, but it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to, to have all those things work together. So, you know, being someone who, you know, loves one product, which is great, but you still have to, you know, understand how everything comes together and, and how you can benefit from, you know, all the, the, the integrations in between because that's where all the value is to be found. Um, that's also a little bit what I was talking about earlier, right? The improvements in Exchange 2016, it's the same thing, right? If you if you take a look at, you, you want to have that same functionality, well, oh, great, you'll have to have Exchange 2016. Oh, and by the way, you'll have to, you'll have to use the Office Web App Server 2016, and you'll have to use SharePoint 2016, because it is... Um, it's a cliche, but it is better together, and there is a reason for that. So I'm, you know, I'm fully on board. It's a very good point you made there, Steve. Um, you know, and that's, you know, that's where IT is changing into, I guess. So how do you feel about Yammer these days, Michael? Uh, <laughs> is it growing on <laughs> you? Uh, well, I guess it is. In, in a way, um, I can't believe I'm saying this. Wow, hey. um, it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite product. I still, you know, have a very hard time finding a very you know, use case for it, but. Um, sometimes, you know, the, the conversational view that you have in there, um, it, it is great. This being said, I like Office 365 groups much more than I do Yammer, but reality is, is that not a lot of my customers are using Office 365. Well, not a lot. I mean, not all of them are using Office 365. Not all of them are using Exchange 2013, 2016, latest technologies. And, you know, from that point of view, if they have Yammer, you know, there is a, there is a step up, right? There is some value there, but... Uh, it's never going to be my favorite, you know, my number one collaboration tool. Um, I just, you know, I stick with email. And I picked up a few tricks. You know, I actually use Yammer more through Outlook than I use it through the Yammer interface. So it's it's okay. I cope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to admit that um, in, in my new job, the most helpful thing starting was Yammer because I didn't have to be forwarded threads about each project because you know you know when you you start working on a project and then someone has to send you like three or four email threads to get you up to speed I didn't have to do any of that because those kind of things only take place in Yammer uh, and that kind of thing really helped and and I was surprised how extensively uh, my employer uses it you know if I need to get items in my schedule and stuff like that for the timesheets then it's all requested through through that it's it's the the place where you work and you just see what everybody else is doing as well uh, so I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by it um, but to see it really work very very well um, because I've only seen it used because 
you know, in a way that I use it on a day-to-day basis by, you know, technical teams together, uh, you know, to share stuff. Um, so to, to see it used, you know, for by, by everybody in the business has to use it. Uh, at that point, it sort of started to click. Um, though I, I admit, I can be, I, I still can be a little bit cynical uh, because I, you know, it, when people have out-of-office messages uh, that say don't email me send me a yammer message then that grates on me a little bit still but the rest of it <laughs> i'm i'm actually quite good with and i do like it a lot <laughs> I'll, I'll never be a yammer pro uh I, I just you know there's a few features that it lacks but let's not get ca- caught up in yammer i think we've got other <laughs> things that we can discuss about so uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, let's move on. Uh, so our last top story is uh, th- this is where the, the the collaboration is really, really going to get hot, and this is this is the thing that's really going to make the difference for Office 365, uh, and that's the Skype for Business services that have been added into Office 365. So if you haven't heard about these, you must have been under a rock. So the Skype broadcast meeting, right? Uh, this is. This is the the thing that can do your webinars, your all company meetings. It's it's the it's the one or small group to many functionality in Skype for Business and you know on premises versions uh, as well. Uh, once, once if you hybridise your environment to allow you to not just have a small meeting like this where you've got you know four or five people, maybe up to 250 people participating in the traditional link type conference um but now without needing to install a client or anything like that then a bit like joining uh you know a a public sort of webinar you can join uh and uh, and view a conference uh or an all sort of company meeting uh using this service Uh, and that's being added into uh, i think most of the enterprise uh SKUs um as well as the new e5 one that they've introduced uh the other new features uh is are coming soon uh, just like this and coming to the US first and Cloud PBX is the the first new big heavy hitter Uh, and that's uh, perhaps not yet an enterprise PBX replacement but for a lot of organizations who have been looking at cloud hosted uh, link services for for PBX replacement uh, this is going to make a lot of sense uh, because it basically means you can start assigning numbers uh, to, to people in your organization uh, the the other new feature that's coming is the the conferencing. So instead of using a third party conferencing service, Microsoft are, are going to give you the option of using their service uh, built into it as well. Uh, you can sign up for those trials right now, uh, and if you want to use the PSTN pieces, then you'll need a US based tenant. Um, but you can try Skype for Business broadcast meeting worldwide uh, as of now. Uh, so. Michael, you said you've been using the broadcast meeting functionality and uh, some of the bits so far? Yeah, yeah. So we've uh, we've tested it so far, and and I have to admit that I was you know uh, surprised by but by how you know how good it is. Again, preview version, you expect all sorts of clunky stuff, but no, it really worked worked well. Um, the only thing, so at first when when it said Skype for Business bro- uh, broadcasting feature, I thought okay, Skype for Business integrated. Yet it is a different portal. Um, where you you know set up your uh, your webinar right now uh, or webinar broadcast yeah. whatever you want to call it, um, 
So it, it's, it's, it's a bit getting used to, but, you know, once you get into the mindset of, hey, this is, you know, a solution that we use to host a webinar, like GoToWebinar, which is a different application as well, you know, then it makes a lot of sense, right? It doesn't need to be integrated into, you know, Skype for Business Client where you can launch a webinar because who would do that anyway <laughs> from his client. Um, but this being said, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a Great addition. Um, it, we've been using, you know, all of us have, you know, done some webinars at some point in time uh, for, you know, your company, vendors, whatnot, what, what and you've used different applications. And to be honest, I like the simplicity, if you will, uh, for the, from the Skype for Business uh, solution for broadcasting. I, I like that. Um, I'm looking into the, the the PSTN solutions. I haven't used it because we're uh, you know we're we signed up for the preview. Um, so the the PSTN calling our tenant for you know is in, in the United States, and I look forward to that because if that works as good as the preview for the broadcast uh, meeting broadcast goes, then you know I'm up for a treat. And personally. Um, you know, just to, to talk about the SMB market, I think that a lot of you know small and medium enterprises, they are waiting so badly for you know that to come because, you know, being able to get you know full voice capabilities, right there and then in Office 365 in your tenant by just a few clicks, that's just amazing. I mean, uh, I've I've been working with Link before, right? Now it's kind of a business. I'm so used to using it. I, I don't have a phone at home. I'm so used to having, you know, my voice capabilities in in, in link. Um, on my personal tenants, I of course I don't have that yet because it's a European tenant. But as soon as it becomes available, of course I'll get these voice features because you know it is so convenient. You know, just pick your headset and you can do whatever you want from wherever you want to. You know, keep the number even if you're traveling across the world. That's just amazing. I mean, I believe that's great. That's a great value prop for a lot of you know small and medium-sized enterprises. But. I think it's, it's going to drive some adoption of Express Route for Office 365 uh, as well. Uh, and that Express Route for Office 365 is, is where you can effectively connect your global WAN or MPLS uh, directly into the Microsoft data centers, uh, or rather through uh, an exchange provider. Uh, and that allows you to do some quality of service stuff if you want to make sure that the voice services uh, are of a, a aren't traversing the internet and uh, and are of a certain quality uh, so th those are the bits that i think will need to be added for anybody but the the smallest smbs i, I also think there's going to be a market for it uh, in some hybrid scenarios as well uh, so if you're uh, an on-prem uh, link or link 2013 organization then you might want to think about uh, you know if you if you were perhaps just in in one country at the moment um, but you've got a global workforce that are completely distributed across the globe uh, but the, the core of your staff is, is in a few locations then the the cloud-based functionality might actually make more sense than, than running them off your on-premises infrastructure uh, but we'll, we'll see we'll see uh, there's, there's a lot yet to come uh, and I think it could be quite some time you know perhaps a year before we, we start seeing it in other markets all right, so that's that, that's our top stories this week, and it is going to be uh, shorter than usual show because obviously Exchange 2016, what a big topic. Uh, so we'll save the the best for uh, the next. Uh, so I have to mention UC Day, so Unified 
Comms Day UK is coming on September the 28th to the National Conference Centre uh, in Birmingham, UK, uh, which is hosted inside the uh, National Motorcycle Museum. And it's organised by Andrew J. Price. It's also, uh, I'm involved with it, Brian Reed, an exchange MVP, is involved with it, Ian Smith, a few others, Tom Arbothnos, uh, and Jason Wynn, uh, a whole bunch of people who organise UC-based events in the UK. And the essence of it is we're looking to put together uh, a one-day mini link and Microsoft Exchange conference uh, with a bit of Office 365 as well. So separate tracks for all of those things. And uh, we'll have speakers including uh, Mr. Van Horenbeek, myself, and others uh, talking about all your favourite Skype for Business and Exchange and Office 365 topics uh, with a whole host of uh, sponsors there to, to help us put it on as well. Uh, and that's the best part. It's completely and utterly free. Uh, so head over now to www.ucday.co.uk and find out more and sign up for a ticket. Uh, and we will see you in Birmingham, UK on the 28th of September. Uh, so to close off the show today um i should make sure that i give credit to andrew for sponsoring thank you to michelle delroy and michael van horenbeek for joining us and of course would like to thank our sponsor of this uc architects episode instant technologies they are experts in enterprise click to chat and e-discovery solutions instant technologies do announce instant chime for microsoft link and skype for business transform your service desk with chime and move your support operations from endangered species to wise enterprise start your chime trial today at www.adchime.com and join the conversation via twitter at team instance before we go though we want to remind you that the uc architects are online well how else are you listening to this uh, visit our website today at www.theucarchitects.com or follow us on Twitter at The UC Architects. Use Facebook or LinkedIn, then be a friend and like us at facebook.com slash theucarchitects or join our LinkedIn group. If you prefer to hashtag YAMFIRST, head over to the Office 365 network where you'll find groups for Exchange, Skype for Business and, of course, Office 365. That's over at aka.ms slash Office 365 network. And if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast then you'll find us in the itunes store you can search for us in the new windows phone 8.1 podcast app or subscribe to the podcast using your favorite rss reader for full details of everything we've chatted about today see our website for links and we'll see you back for the next episode with pat hosting thanks for listening goodbye